90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? You know, I'm here. <laughs> You're here. Uh, it is the second show of 2021, which is turning out to be just like 2020, <laughs> as we predicted. We're brilliant. But I will say, I have already made one of my resolutions come true. You know, they say everybody's already abandoned their resolutions by this time. But I said no to a work thing, and I was very proud of myself. Oh, good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt really good about that. Um, what was one of my other ones? Oh, yeah. This took place today, and I'm going to say I'm a little traumatized. <laughs> I had 1,500 Gmail messages that I just deleted. Didn't Beautiful. Ar- didn't archive. <laughs> Some of them were from today. Just hit delete. <laughs> and this is on your personal email? This is on my personal email. Mm-hmm. And then my work email. <sighs> Everything... Up to 2020 has been archived. I am so proud of you. Oh, gosh. It it hurt. So I had to do what you said. I had to get my friend to basically do it for me. (laughs) I mean, I pressed the button and everything, but she said, you're dumb that you don't use inbox zero rules. (laughs) And then proceeded to chide me until I actually did it. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. So maybe when we talk next week, I'll be at inbox zero. And also, if you've sent me an email, I don't know where it is. You're going to send me another one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. it was catastrophic. <laughs> but I already feel lighter. It's absolutely true. Like, I feel better about deleting those emails than I do about archiving some. So I don't know. It's true. I mean, archiving, if... <laughs> If you're archiving, you know, sale emails from two years ago, it's kind of like putting stuff in the attic. Yeah. See, that's what I felt about the personal one. So I was like, I don't really, like, even though I may need that receipt for those Gap jeans I bought yesterday, I don't know. I'm just going to delete it. There you go. (sighs) So we'll see if I'm alive next week after all of that. So next week, you'll either feel much lighter or you will have suffered a complete breakdown. Exactly. Uh, either way, you're going to hear about it. So uh, Nice. Yeah. Uh, what's up with you? Well, I've been working on my resolutions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've, I've been doing better with being confident and decisive and did uh, towards progress towards that and towards one of my other goals. Uh, did my own solo flying out around, away from the airport for the first time. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's, uh, how much did you, time did you get to, like, sit back and enjoy it versus just constantly tinkering with everything? Well, those are kind of the same thing. <laughs> for you, yes, uh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was really nice. It was a gorgeous day so i really didn't have to to fight much of anything that's nice yeah that's really good no like it was great what's the worst you've flown in so far just windy uh, or is cloudy four, scary rainy 35 40 knot shear oh that's that's efficient shear <laughs> yeah uh hmm. i'd have to look back in my logbook to see exactly what it was but it was It was one of my first flights, and it was very uh, bumpy. Oh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm going to barf just thinking about it. Um, That's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. Hmm. So that's what I've been working on. But, uh, you know, I was was trying to think about what we should talk about for the next few shows, because we did those back-to-basic shows probably a year or so ago, and I really enjoyed those. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's a good reset and, you know, reaffirmation of our love of science. Right. (laughs) And I was thinking about some of the things that we've been working on because we've been making some cool educational, I want to say toys. Yeah, toys. toys. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I thought, 
I surely we've talked about things like porosity and permeability. And I looked through the show notes and the words porosity and permeability are not in the show notes a single time. I find that so hard to believe. And even when you texted me to tell me that's what we're talking about, I'm like, nope, we've totally already done that, man. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I guess not. (laughs) And I thought, well, we'll do this in one show. And then as I started doing my research and review, I realized this was two shows. <laughs> I love it that that happened to you because I feel like I always have an idea and we start it and literally halfway through we're like, oh, look, it's an hour and I still hold two more pages of notes. <laughs> so I'm glad this happened to you too. Yeah. And you say, well, like, how can you talk for 45 minutes about porosity? Oh, uh, let, well. let's begin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean... I took a whole class that was essentially just about porosity, and I'm sure you have too. So, And these are two separate classes, so let's go. <laughs> right. All right. So porosity fundamentally is how much empty space there is in something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the normal thing of if you is that we use for an example, if you fill a room with volleyballs, those spaces in between there, that's porosity. Right. And there are lots of types of porosity that we'll get to. But I was curious, have you ever heard, and this is more of a, uh, I'm going to say it's probably soil mechanics or civil engineering term, but we used it some in the rock mechanics group, uh, void fraction. Um, I have heard it tangentially, but it's nothing that I would have used in my everyday, especially petroleum geology world. True. Uh, mm-hmm. They're the same thing. Yeah. And porosity, or void fraction, is a number between zero and one. Inclusive. I like vo- inclusive. One. <laughs> That's the empty room. Um. I'd say if you don't have it, the porosity is one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I like the word void fraction. I mean, I like the word porosity, too. It just seems like an over complication, but it's really not. It's actually more simple than the word porosity, right? Yeah. So if the void fraction is 0.4 or 40%, that means that 40% of the volume is open. It's empty. Mm-hmm. And that's now, a- it doesn't mean empty of any material. It just means not the main thing. Right. So in our case, not rock. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's why you know about it, because it can be oil. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) (laughs) And so I like to say, you know, why do you want high in porosity? And everyone says oil or gas. I'm like, or water, right? I mean, we have talked about aquifers, which we definitely would have talked about porosity and permeability. So I don't, (sighs) I guess we just haven't done show notes for a while, right? We're professionals now, so we don't... uh... (laughs) (laughs) we don't ever like take notes on this stuff um yeah so it could be water it could be air it could be yeah oil gas a mixture of such right and i've dealt with some systems where you're dealing with what we call multi-phase flow Uh, Mm -hmm. so you've got fluid gas and solid let's say flowing through a pipe yeah well, like the void fraction relative to what mm-hmm. becomes an interesting question. But let's stick with uh, <laughs> the more basic porosity for now. <laughs> I was going to say I didn't bring home my books, but um, yeah, there's definitely some reservoir characterization of of um, those mixed phase systems where you get natural gas that's gas and then condensate, which is like the liquid part of natural gas. And oh, yeah, it becomes a big deal. Anytime you hear the words multi-phase flow, you should (laughs) shudder a little. (laughs) No, I'm coming to love fluid dynamics. It's okay. It's It's true, but it's also engineer code for we're going to overbuild it and hope that was enough. (laughs) So true. (laughs) That is 100% true. Um, Porosity is interesting, right? So obviously, well, not obviously. We're talking about sedimentary rocks mostly, but you can get porosity in other types of rocks, which we'll Granted get to. Granted, has porosity. Uh, exactly. Yes. I mean, it's like, you know, less than a percent, but it's there. Oh, you can actually get pretty good 
porosity of granite. And in California, well, that's one place I think of. Um, or in Colorado at our field camp, our aquifer is a granite. That's true. It is a very gross granite, fissile, porous, <laughs> uh-huh. fractured mess. Yeah, so that's fracture porosity, um, which is one of the types of porosity that we will get to. And porosity, as you can imagine, with respect to a rock, changes throughout a rock's lifetime due to something called diagenesis. So a rock gets deposited or made, and everything that happens to it after it becomes a rock, so after it lithifies, is called diagenesis. And as you can imagine, that can really change um, the porosity that was first in the rock. Oh, yeah. But uh, before we get there, that, that original porosity in the rock we call the primary porosity. And it's something that you almost never get to measure. Uh, <laughs> yes, because of diagenesis. <laughs> Unless so you have sand. Ah, oh, it's the easiest and the best thing on earth, right? And and that's the best thing to visualize, that primary porosity. You got sand on a beach, you know, um, or if you imagine sand in a glass, or if you really want to do the experiment, you can buy one of your um, new experimental toys, right? <laughs> and you can pour, oh, yes. pour, that, <laughs> pour that sand into a glass and pour water on top of it, and that water goes into the sand right it doesn't stay on top and that water is filling that void space which is the primary porosity of that chunk of sand and that's one of the ways that you can actually measure porosity Mm-hmm. it's not hard right i mean in this case it's not hard <laughs> you can and i've done this you we need to know what the the porosity of some ottawa sand was that we were using for an experiment and i put so many milliliters in a beaker and poured so many milliliters of water in and kept adding until no more water went into the sand, and it was within a percent or so of the published value. That's awesome. Um, so you can also do fancier stuff, right? But that's an easy, cheap way that gets you very close. And I think that fancier way, we should definitely have somebody on the show to talk about that because it involves using a CT scanner, yes, a CAT scan of your rock. Yes, and I've done that. It's very cool. Uh but it is a little bit more advanced. You can also do things like, uh, as unsophisticated as it sounds, I've dropped cores of rock in beakers of water, let them sit for a day, wait them, put them in an oven, dried them for a day, wait them. There you go. <laughs> it all, it's, it's a really good approximation for the very detailed type of porosity measurement. So, um, yeah, and that's the way they do it in um, the petroleum engineers that take rock properties class that's the way they do it too they have it in a a little core in a vacuum and they pass something through it and then measure that uh that volume that goes through it and there you go yeah i will say that doesn't tell you the necessarily all the porosity of the rock which we'll get to Uh, but for my purposes it told me the porosity i cared about yes yeah exactly so primary porosity very easy to um envision (laughs) really hard to get in real life (laughs) well and you know it's also uh there have been some interesting articles about like that kind of suspended sediment at right above the ocean floor saying like mm -hmm. this is a geologic thing that has 88 percent porosity Because, I mean, if you think about a rock, it can't be more void than rock. Or can it? Right, exactly. Why not? (laughs) Because then it's just sediment floating around, I guess. Well, but then you go back to what I said about multi-phase flow, like porous relative to what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is the water holding the rock or is the rock holding the water? Oh, man, I'm going to make students write, like opinion essays about that now (laughs) you're like i don't know why we did a week about porosity in my intro geology class (laughs) well as long-term listeners of the show uh, know and probably the short-term ones too we neither one have strong opinions on anything not at all not even a little bit (laughs) Um, so uh what is the (laughs) second type of porosity 
This one's so hard to remember. I think it's secondary porosity. <laughs> it is. And it's one that I have a little bit of a problem with some of the things they count as secondary porosity. But we'll get Oh, there. no. Okay. So this is closer to my wheelhouse, not like in my wheelhouse exactly. But um, this is definitely stuff that I look at. So what is your... So secondary porosity. Um, something's happened. <laughs> to the rock and you create a new void basically that is apart from that primary porosity void the simplest way to explain this would be to think about if you have a carbonate rock and you say dissolve some of the fossils in it now those spaces where the fossils were are now voids that can act as secondary porosity yes and, okay, so the two problems are, one, secondary porosity only talks about things that make the rock porosity higher. Mm -hmm. You can also deposit things like cement in a rock. Mm -hmm. That's yes. modification of primary porosity. Yes. That is true. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And... <sighs> The second thing is most people count fractures as secondary porosity. A hundred percent they do. Yes. I was surprised on this list of porosity types to see that as a secondary or as a, sorry, as its own type of porosity. Because I guess how I'm used to saying it is anything that isn't primary porosity is secondary porosity. So the distinction that I like to make is fracture, it's all about scale, right? Think about meteorology. Yes. Uh, the fracture porosity, to me, like, it's not a material property. Right. It's not a property okay. of the rock. It is a property of the fact that a large body of rock has been fractured and cracked up, and there's stuff in those cracks. Right. But it's not a property of the granite. It's a property right. of that formation. So it's not... It's not a uh, a thunderstorm scale effect. It's a it's a mesoscale mm -hmm. pattern. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. Mesoscales like fronts, large scale fronts, jet stream stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In case, yeah, you didn't know. <laughs> so, I thought it was just, to me they're a little different, but uh, I also am a splitter, not a lumper. So, there's that. <laughs> um, yes there's that so that's a modification of the primary porosity so that is interesting because we would probably also call that secondary porosity which i mean strictly by definition according to most textbooks it is yeah yeah exactly and so fracture porosity is pretty simple to understand you you open a crack and <laughs> it fills with stuff <laughs> yep exactly so that's how you can get granites or metamorphic rocks that are aquifers so they get all fractured up, water flows into those fractures, and just like I said, our whole field camp is, the aquifer is the granite, so, and everyone that lives right around there, so, yeah. And it's the basis of things like fracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you're creating fracture porosity. That's what f the frack part of fracking is, and you just do that by pressurizing the crap out of the rock till it explodes basically yeah mm -hmm. and then you prop those fractures open with whatever you're pressurizing the rock with like this john mentioned early ottawa sand so that's a a sand that has a very specific set of you know roundness characteristics to it um but that's often used in fracking too so you put that sand in those fractures and you prop those fractures open and you just create a whole lot of porosity with that nicely rounded sand. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So you can also generate secondary porosity by, you mentioned dissolving things like fossils. Mm -hmm. Or you can dissolve big chunks of carbon and make a cave. And we would call that vuggy porosity, which to me, counting a cave as porosity is the old, that's, that's like the... <laughs> The global scale weather pattern level here. Uh, uh, look, you said it's measured from zero to one, man. 
<laughs> it's true. And, you know, I, a cave technically at that scale is porosity. Uh-huh. So. Yes, that is correct. Um, I always think about, so you can dissolve all these things. I always think about dolomite. When I talk about thuggy porosity, that's what comes to mind. And so it's called thuggy porosity because it leaves sort of these bigger holes throughout Bugs. the rock. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's the only exactly. way to describe it. <laughs> it is, I know. I was like, how do I not use the word? Um, so it leaves these bigger holes, whether that's a cave or um, dissolving of these macro fossils, so big fossils. Um, I think about this a lot when I talk about dolomite because carbonate is CaCO3, right? And when you start to add a lot of magnesium in, you get dolomite. And there's a difference between the size of a calcium atom and the size of a magnesium. And you leave behind, when you replace the calciums with the magnesiums, the magnesiums are a little smaller. So it leaves behind these holes. You get a lot of these bugs in dolomite. That's not the only thing, but I'm saying it's very common in dolomite that your porosity is this buggy porosity. Right. Yeah. So you get bugs. Now we'll we'll step away from the primary, secondary, and types of secondary into the two classes, I would say, of porosity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which are open and closed. Some people apparently call them effective and ineffective, though I've never called them that. I've heard effective porosity quite a bit. I have never talked about ineffective porosity because <laughs> nobody wants that. Right, you don't make money from ineffective porosity. Exactly right. (laughs) So what is open porosity? This is hard to me to describe without talking about permeability, because that's what I sort of think of. But um, that's not... I mean, it is what it is. So if you've got all those... Oh, no. No, I disagree. (laughs) Well... Uh, okay it it is not what it is (laughs) it is what we would talk about in the oil industry so you want effective porosity is the stuff that the pores that can actually like flow right the stuff that you can get to yeah yeah yes but there's a lot of things you can't get to (laughs) right right and so even if it's a dead end it's still Effective because it's storing liquid that you could get. It's, it's storing things that if I put that sample in my oven, I could evaporate. Right. Yes. So it's in there. Yes. But you can't, you know, get it out. Right. Well, so the th- that would be closed porosity. So closed or ineffective porosity mm-hmm. is stuff where that pore is totally closed off on all sides. Right. Due to a lack of permeability chicken sometimes. and egg okay sometimes we'll we'll talk about the relation of porosity and permeability more next week <laughs> i know see that's why i can't like i can't um i can't divorce these two things in my mind which you know i try to be really careful when you talk about this because porosity doesn't equal permeability or the opposite not at all but when you're talking about open or closed porosity it is talking a little bit about accessibility and flow so bubble wrap Closed porosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Thank goodness. <laughs> Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> Open porosity. Delicious and effective. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. So you guys call it open and closed. Yeah. I only really call it effective porosity. That's hmm. funny how we're both geologists, but. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Jargon, man. <laughs> so much jargon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then there's one that I know you don't like, uh, dual <laughs> porosity. Yeah, I don't... Okay, so explain to me your rock mechanics thing of dual porosity. Okay, so um, you know zonation and crystals, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same thing, but porosity. Yeah, okay, so secondary porosity, zonation of secondary porosity... Why are you going to call it dual porosity? Well, okay, so no, you got primary porosity. Mm-hmm. And then you overlap maybe uh, buggy porosity or fracture porosity. 
on top of it. So it's it's sort of separating those ideas of, you know how I said, okay, well, fracture porosity is not really porosity because it's yeah. only porosity at the mesoscale. <laughs> That's what dual porosity does. It says, well, you've got the material porosity, and then you've got the porosity of the reservoir, and they both make up the porosity that is the water you can suck out, but they're different things. So dual porosity is the GCM. <laughs> right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> That's how I would make the distinction. See, and I would just say it has both primary and secondary porosity. <laughs> this feels like an engineering problem. Like this is the flow problem, right? So those two this things is breaking are flow. it down into different systems that we can model. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. So this has more to do with the flow of the systems. Well, it doesn't have more to do with it, but the definition saying there's dual porosity means you can't compartmentalize both of those with one flow equation. <laughs> Well, and like, you know, imagine, okay, you've got the exact same reservoir, but one of them is just a sandstone that's got a lot of hydrocarbon in it. And the other one is a sandstone that's got a lot of hydrocarbon in a fault zone. Yeah, right. That's the one you want to go for because it's got that dual porosity. It's going to be a lot easier to access and be able to store a lot more per cubic meter. If that fault is acting as a conduit and not a barrier to flow, yes. Well, yeah, details. <laughs> Sorry, it's a porosity show. You're right. That's the one you want to go for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. And arguably, not arguably, this is the interesting one, right? I right. Mean, you, you get primary porosity. All right, that's cool. Secondary porosity, yeah. But when you have both of them, that makes working out the diagenetic history of the rock extremely interesting. It's like saying for your paleomagnetic samples, like they have dual magnetization. Yeah, sometimes they have quad magnetization. If you believe it, yes. <laughs> just because you think it's magic, that's just science you don't understand, John. <laughs> um, what other types of porosity could there possibly be? <laughs> so... Now we're actually going to get to the scale argument, finally, but not at the scale that I've been talking about. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. yeah. Micro, meso, and macro porosity. So great. Just take Greek kids, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, micro is such a tiny pore smaller than two nanometers. Like, RSEM can't even really resolve that. <laughs> and in earth science, we don't care about it. I mean... Hmm. It, it is... So, the <laughs> microporosity scale, you are literally limited by atomic diffusion. Yeah, that's true. Because the pores are so small. Yeah, that's true. So, it that's is effectively, for geologists, tiny. closed. Yes. <laughs> One hundred percent for um, petroleum geologists. Yes. <laughs> now, where you do care about things like that are in metal, because metal's just another material. You go buy a bar of steel; it's not solid steel. It has porosity, mm -hmm. and yeah. it is micro porosity because that's why your steel doesn't. You know, that's why your your metal roof building doesn't leak. Well, <laughs> okay, it might, but that's why it's not coming <laughs> through the steel. Is because it's effectively closed because it's limited by diffusion of micropores. So it has ineffective porosity unless it has fracture porosity, in which case you get wet. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Or porosity from, you know, <laughs> self-drilling screws. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's lots of that. Um, this definition of meso is also... I don't know, super tiny, and it's really funny to me that this is the mesoscale. So pores greater than 2 <laughs> nanometers, but less than 50 nanometers. Which, compared to meteorology, is just so absurd. I know, exactly. So what is, like, a normal hair is, like, 10 nanometers across or 20? It's 20, right? 20 so, has a good ballpark number. Yeah, so, you know, two two hairs. Or, or no, sorry, hairs microns, 20 microns. Oh, so, microns. Yes. Oh, so it's a quarter of a hair? So this is... Well, so 20 microns to 20 nanometers, it's three orders of magnitude. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, so it's a lot smaller. Uh, That's ridiculous. <laughs> and so you're no, you're now bigger than atomic scale diffusion. Mm-hmm. But you're in this really cool realm. Are you ready? Oh no. Nudson diffusion. <laughs> Can you say that on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what this is, but I imagine I'm going to learn right now. <laughs> okay, so you remember when we talked in thermodynamics about uh, mean free paths of air molecules? Yep. Mm-hmm. Same idea. Oh. Okay. So, so it has a choice of where to go. Sort of. There's so much room. <laughs> but the it, the mean free path is how far before the molecule collides with the boundary of the system. Right. Mm-hmm. In Newton diffusion, you're looking at roughly capillary type. Action. So a very long but very narrow pore space. So the molecule is not going to travel very far before it bumps into a wall. So mm-hmm. it's not flow, but it's also not diffusion. So okay. it's Knudsen diffusion. <laughs> Lovely. Okay. So it can stretch its legs. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. So that's meso. And then macro porosity is... What every geologist talks about, yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, and okay, we're going to get hate mail from people that study porosity of oh, metamorphic yeah. rocks, but uh, <laughs> those pores don't exist. <laughs> pores greater than fifty nanometers. Okay, yeah, big enough to see. <laughs> and uh, they say this is bulk diffusion, which to me means flow. Right. Gosh, 15 nano. I got mine. Yeah. I was thinking microns. That's incredibly tiny. That's still incredibly tiny. Right. I mean, you think about uh, porosity of coffee. It's still mm-hmm. huge compared to this. Absolutely huge. So basically all rocks are going to be macro porosity. Right. And, you know, if you want to do an experiment, uh, if you have an AeroPress... You can measure porosity, <laughs> and you can modify it. Um, so I did that experiment because I finally ran out of original AeroPress filters, and I had to buy, like, secondary non-AeroPress brand filters. And the diffusion is much different through them, I will say. Yes. So but that's going to get close <laughs> to permeability. Which we'll talk uh, about next it's week. It's so interesting because when you say flow, right? Like it's, yeah, it's real hard to divorce those two concepts from your mind. And it's actually even harder to teach it because it's easy at first to get confused if these are not in your everyday lexicon. Well, once you have all of it in your lexicon, it makes sense. But <laughs> that's... Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Except nudes and diffusion. <laughs> Ah, I, I love me say. some good diffusion problems. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Pass. Okay, so next week we'll discuss how those pores interact with each other. Or don't. Or don't, which is how we actually can get fluids to flow through something. How you make your coffee every week. Mm-hmm. Or every day. day. Multiple times. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know somewhere at the AeroPress Corporation or uh, at Keurig or at Folgers, there are people calculating the permeability of coffee right now. They absolutely are. Why don't we have those jobs? It's true. Uh, Let me tell you, it's pretty permeable through my entire system, though. Ah, yes. So, you know, Shannon, maybe we should uh, share a cup of coffee. Ah, we should. We should probably eat our same favorite donut together, too. You know, apparently it would bring us closer, which means it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday. <laughs> Is this a cool paper? I loved this paper, and I'm going to employ it immediately. <laughs> a recipe for friendship. Similar food consumption promotes trust and cooperation by Wooly and Fishbach. 
interestingly enough, from the School of Business. <laughs> this simultaneously enrages me <laughs> and is very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so... <laughs> from the Journal of I, Consumer Psychology, so you can see where this is going. Exactly. So this is the enraging part, right? Um, <laughs> I got, and I, I got this. It was one of those, like, maybe you'll like this, because I was looking at a paper that we were potentially going to do um, from the journal called Appetite. <laughs> yeah, well, you were hungry. I know, exactly. And so I suggested this, and I'm like, that's really weird. Uh, this is so cool. Um this is one of, there's a TED Talk by a guy, and I don't remember it, which will be pointless. I'll try to find it for the show notes, um, where he discusses how you align yourself, like, with a group of people. And he has an experiment where there are, there's a whole group of students that are sitting down, and he's planted some students in the room. And they have, so if they're at... Carnegie Mellon, you know, these guys have pin sweatshirts on or something like that. And <laughs> basically, if you see someone that's an outsider, you'll call them out and you'll feel a kinship with the people who, you know, look like you or share a certain trait that you also have. It's the same for food. And that's crazy. <laughs> and not only the type of food, but also the yeah. quantity of food which I found super interesting. I think these methods were the coolest things I've... Like, how cool, right? These were some really cool things. So they had several hypotheses in here that they tested with a bunch of different um, and different really cool um, experiments, although they were very stingy. Participants no only kidding. <laughs> 50 cents for some of them? <laughs> And it seems like it would have taken a long time to do this experiment. Like, I can't remember whenever I was ever paid less than, like, $10 for an experiment. I was wondering who this was funded by, like, <laughs> Grandma or... Because uh, from what I can tell, none of these studies cost more than a few hundred dollars. I know! 50... Oh, gosh. Okay, so <laughs> their hypotheses were as follows. Similar food consumption increases trust and cooperation between strangers... Uh, an increase in closeness and liking mediates the effect of consuming similar foods on increased trust and cooperation. Uh, similar food consumption serves as a stronger cue of trust compared with other incidental similarities. So strange. <laughs> um, and so the these first... methods, I mean, you said they were cool. <laughs> a lot of psychology experiments are bait and switch. I these know. were amazing. Exactly. So I've done several of these, and I never, like, followed up. And I think, what was I actually being tested on? Right. You know what I mean? Like, I do those eye-tracking things, and it's like, there was no way the thing I was being tested on was about eye-tracking. It was about something else. I'm like, was it, like, how many times I, like, touched my hair or did something weird like that? Like, and most people, reading these. Most people don't know that this is a common practice unless you read psychology journals. Exactly. exactly. Then you go in there, and you're like, what are you doing? I remember when I had to play this weird video game and it was super fun. And she goes, you can actually still keep playing this online afterwards. Like, here's where you go and you can just play it. It's real cool. And I'm like, is this the actual part of the experiment? Like how many times I log on to play this? Right. <laughs> Which I did all the time because it was real fun. Um, okay. So <laughs> the first thing that they wanted to see was if you're eating the same thing as someone, does that increase trust and closeness? Um, and, and so they're giving people food, right? So either these people were eating similar or dissimilar food as their partner. They're partnered up with somebody. And then they play this investment game. And so you get assigned to be an investor or a funds manager. This seems so elaborate and interesting. And so as the investor, you get to choose how much money you give. And then as the fund manager, you get to choose sort of how much money they make. There's a lot of rules in here, though, right? There are, but the <laughs> the bulk results were if you were eating similar foods, you're more likely to trust each other and be 
better to each other. Right. So if you were to, um, the investors got $3 and they chose how much of that $3 they could keep and how much they could invest. And so if they invested more, both themselves and the fund manager would walk away with more at the end of the experiment, right? So trusting would be investing more. And that happened more when you ate the same thing as the fund manager or funds manager that you were paired with by a significant amount. <laughs> well, and now think about it. How many times have you said something about a food and somebody like, let's say, use car salesman to be the classic <laughs> example here, break out the, the white <laughs> shoes, uh, would say things like, oh, that's my favorite food. Yeah, exactly. And it's like it wasn't about the food it's so yeah so if they ate the same food the mean of what they invested was two dollars and 40 cents and if they ate different foods it was a dollar 86 that's significant yeah and i'm wondering if this is like was this uh known but not quantified in the fact that you always take clients out to lunch i think so We'll get to the end and we can discuss this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we have still, we have some more experiments to do. Right. So that was the first one. That's super interesting. So you trust someone if you ate the same things. And also this wasn't like a choosing, like they didn't get to choose what they ate, right? They were served what they ate. Um, so it wasn't like it was, oh gosh, we must have so much more in common, right? Maybe this is why people have things catered in. Anyway, let's keep going. Yes, keep going. <laughs> so, study two. All right. So, study two, we're trying to find if similar food consumption improves negotiation outcomes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so here, you are negotiating uh, between a hourly wage union leader and a manager. And so you're exchanging bids for what the hourly wage will be. And there's a strike period that the manager wants to minimize. So the manager wants to minimize strike and maximize or, and minimize the amount he pays, maximize profit. Mm-hmm. Whereas the union leader wants to maximize their profit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they did the same thing of getting everybody in the lab. Uh, I'm kind of curious that, you know, that, a lot of people got weeded out because they knew each other. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was funny too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there is some food that they are eating during the, uh, the test. And they have sweet foods like cookies, Kit Kats, and they have salty foods like potato chips, pretzels, uh, and so on. So they would either have the same or different They were told explicitly, you will be evaluating the same food items today, or one of you will be eating sweet food, and one of you will be eating salty food. So they drew this out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they answered a bunch of filler questions. (laughs) Right, yeah, about the food, which is unrelated, supposedly, to the task, right? right? Again, this one was a huge difference. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, It's, I just, I can't even, so you wanted to minimize the strike days because that helps maximize profit, right? Or you want to quickly get to what the union wants or something like that. Um, And it was so interesting. Um, So the management, um, I'm trying to find, find these numbers here. Um, So fewer strike days, right? So if you had the similar food, union, boss, and manager, you had an average of 3.63 strike days. Different foods was 7.33 strike days. So you went back and forth almost twice as much trying to negotiate. Twice as much. (laughs) That's And it's totally uncontrollable because they were even told... (laughs) (laughs) you're eating similar or different foods exactly like here's how we're going to manipulate you but you can't stop it and it's still oh that's nuts and it was still like that oh gosh um 
Okay. This third one really scares me. This one is really scary to me. So similar food consumption increases product our trust in a product testimonial. <laughs> which blew my mind. Yes, even the way the experiment's set up, it all it seems like I would be in here and be like, This is real fishy. But it's not. So they had people come in and they did their normal food thing, right? And the people were going to analyze two real products, okay, SC Johnson Shout Spray and HP Agile Manager Software. And what they did was they had actors who were actually research assistants were reading real customer reviews of these products, but they were doing it in a YouTube style. So like they're doing a product review on YouTube. So therefore they had food and it was either similar food, Kit Kats, which obviously someone loves <laughs> or right. grapes to the people who were watching the reviews. Um, and, and again, they like these people were, reading these testimonials the people were watching them eating the people during the testimonial ate at least twice during their their testimonial and then they were ranked on um basically were they how much did you trust the information the person was portraying in their customer review and how much did you like them yeah and <laughs> This is the part of this experiment that I loved. It was all <laughs> under the guise of here's, you know, we're, we're testing, we're pre-testing snack preferences for another study. Will you try this candy and tell us what you think? Okay, now that you've done that, we're ready to watch this video. <laughs> and they even said, did you notice anything weird about the video to see if anyone said, yeah, they were eating. That was weird. And no one did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they said, what were they eating? Like, oh, yeah, what were they eating? And 98% of the people correctly identified what they were eating just to check that they were paying attention. Product and again, placement works. Yeah. And it's a huge, like, they very much trusted the people who were eating the same things they were eating. Well, like, why do you, why do you put Coke or Pepsi in a television show? Because people are watching it on their couch, potentially drinking a Coke or a Pepsi. Yeah. So... People eating in ads that aren't even related to food makes you like and trust them better. <laughs> yeah, so uh, any coffee brands, if you want to sponsor the show. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, and then the fourth study. Uh, similar food consumption effects on inferred trust which this one was odd this one was odd um yeah so they wanted to see is it really just food or is it something else it, it's what i was sort of talking about at the beginning is there something else that can like bring you together and so they did food consumption um or like wearing similar is it colors shirt of colors shirts? Yeah. yeah wearing similar shirt colors right um gosh that's it's so, so strange, too. And though. the shirt color didn't really make a difference, mm -hmm. but the food did. Uh, and one interesting point that they make in here, mm -hmm. mimicry is not what we're talking about and is not good. Right. If you order a Supreme pizza, I should not also say, oh, that's my, I, I would like a Supreme pizza, too. I should say, I love pizza. I like Canadian bacon and pineapple, please. Mm -hmm. And if you order a large, I should order a large. If right. you order a personal size, I should order a personal size. Not that I would ever do that to Canadian bacon and pineapple. I just want to get that out there. I'm not that kind what, of What, put it on pizza? Yeah, you monster. I know, me either. Um <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yes, because those are different, yeah. But, you know, if if you order something beefy and midsize, like, I should probably follow suit instead of ordering, you know, <laughs> a small bowl of lentil soup. 
<laughs> yeah, because I'd mock you, and there's all kinds of psychology papers about that. <laughs> so I think this is really interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we all know about taking people to lunch like a customer. Uh, it builds relationship. You get to talk. But there's something about food. It's different than politics or religious views. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves food. Yeah. And apparently we love and trust people who love the same food we do. Because we is... think they have good taste. Exactly. Literally good taste. Uh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of how the origins of this podcast. It's true. But I, I uh, couldn't. Dark beers. I couldn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. I can only do chicken tenders like one meal every couple of weeks as opposed to your three meals a day, but. <laughs> a two. Yeah, we had fish and chips sometimes too. <laughs> Chick-fil-A didn't have the the chicken breakfast biscuits at that time. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this was super interesting. The manipulation in here and the outcome, it's just, oh. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful paper. Yeah, so next time a uh, representative from a company says they'd like to take you to lunch mm-hmm. and they order a similar thing or you both find out you love the same appetizer. Just go ahead and give them your money. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and say, I don't know what, but there's something about you that I like. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Shannon, if folks have their own study on food similarity <laughs> choices and how it has affected their relationships <laughs> how can they send that data in uh, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com or on twitter uh, at geo underscore lehman at shannon doolin or at don't panic geo um, we might be in the slack chat room and you can find us there on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like more of this breaking news coming your way about chicken tenders <laughs> or M&Ms and pretzels, that was in here a bunch, you can uh, also support us there, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And even though chefs everywhere think about what they're going to put in our food when we say it. <laughs> Until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.